Way to go, Randall. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, hey, so as we dive in this morning, let's do a quick uh, kind of a quick catch you up. We are in the season of talking about uh, this, this journey that we're on with God. That's all we have the compass behind us and. And each week's kind of its own unique expression. So the last few weeks, we've, we've connected these messages together uh, as we talked about the journey that we're on. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about uh, this journey as a race, right? We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul comes and says, hey, I want you to run the race as if you're trying to win the prize, right? And so we talked about that Sunday, and I want to try to catch you up because they... The two weeks, that last week and this week, all go together. But I believe there's this work that God is trying to do in the life of each of us. And, and I'm going to kind of tell my own story, kind of let you behind the curtain a little bit of what God's been doing in me the last couple of months. And, and part of it begins with this idea of the race, right? This race that God's called us to run. And, and I think all of us understand competitors, right? We've all watched the Olympics. We've all watched certain athletes. There's always those athletes. We really have a high level of respect. But whether we like athletics or not, you can't. Help at having a level of respect for people who just give all of their time and all of their energy to be the best at something, right? And so Paul's coming in in 1 Corinthians 9 saying, listen, that's how I want you to live your life. As it relates to your relationship with Jesus, and Jesus and your relationship with him being the ultimate prize, I want you to think of yourself going after Jesus like a competitor in the Olympics goes after the prize with all of their time, all of their energy. And so when we do this, it begins to change the way that we think about our spiritual life because there's a lot of energy and fervor. And the idea for the Lord is like, he's not saying, I want you to work harder and, and try harder. That's not what he's getting. He says, listen, he said, what he's saying is when you see the prize and the value of it, your response is going to be, I want to go after that. And so the idea is that we only be a people who see such value in the prize of Jesus that we just feel compelled, right? Everything inside of us says, I, I want that every single day. Because what we said last week is that that place with Jesus and that relationship with him is found in the journey to the secret place. The, the secret place, we are told several times in Scripture, is ultimately the place where God resides, right? It's, it's his home. And we know that Jesus makes his home in each of us, those who've given their life to Jesus, right? And so, so he comes and he resides in us in this secret place. And we said then that every single day as we go after the prize of Jesus, it's really a journey into the secret place where God resides. It's where he lives inside of us. And we said from Psalm 139 that that secret place is actually our home because it's where we were conceived, where we had our origin. And so the desire to get to God is like a desire that we have to return home when, we've been, when we have not been home for a long time. You know that phrase, like, I want to return home. And you understand that because there's something inside of you. It's like, yes, when I get home, there's just this place of peace, a place of rest. I can't quite explain it. And I'm saying, man, that desire inside of you for peace and for rest and a place of just is ultimately the, the place that God's placed in you with a desire to be near him, to be with him in the secret place. It's your journey home. So our prize then is the secret place with God, the place where he resides, the place that he dwells. And this week then is going to be the journey to abundance, the journey to abundance. So one scripture 
One scripture that I hear people talk about all the time, that I, I talk about, that I quote all the time, is that, that scripture from John 10 where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Right? That's one of those phrases, one of those scriptures we all love because Jesus makes the promise and says, listen, I've designed you, I've created you, in fact, I've prepared you, I've made a way for each of you to have life and to have it abundantly. And we recognize, I mean, abundance is a really great word. Like we think about abundance and kind of biblically speaking what it means. It means something that exceeds expectations, right? Something that exceeds expectations. Something that's beyond, right? Beyond our normal. In fact, if you, if you kind of look at it, it means like a super abundance. It's really bad to kind of use the word to define the word, but I say super abundance and you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean. Like when it talks about a life abundance, like, like a super abundance. And there's not one single person in here who would say, eh, I don't really want abundance, right? Like each of us have a desire and probably a longing, that place in us that literally is like, no, I would love to have exceedingly more. I would love to have the super abundance that Jesus promises. And so I think as even we begin this journey into abundance, I, like, I just want you to think about for a second, like, man, Superabundance, a life that exceeds expectations, that's far above and beyond anything I could ever dream or imagine. Because the opposite of a life of abundance is what I would call a life of scarcity. A life of scarcity, right? It's like a lack of something, something we don't quite have in fullness. Like it's less than full, right? In fact, it's scarcity means we have a lack of something. And so I'll just tell you my own story. Back when I came into um, the beginning of the year, right, like most people, I kind of did one of those, like, let's sit back and let's, let's look at my life, right? And, and, and like looking at my life, I, I, I began to look spiritually, like, God, what's going on? What are you doing? What am I missing? Where am I? And so when we went away to India a couple of weeks ago, I, I had some time to kind of decompress because we were away. And so I asked the Lord, like the first day we were going, like, hey, as I was in prayer, God, just... I'd love to know, like, what are your thoughts? What do you think about my spiritual life? Like, where are we? What's going on? I'd love to have a picture. And so God all of a sudden gave me a picture. In fact, he gave me three pictures in three successive days, and they were all terrible. And so the first day, the first day I had this picture, and I'm, like, at ground level in a room, and the room is, like, dark, it's dusty, there's no light, there's one chair in it, and there's a broom. And I recognize, like, this picture was, like, a picture of, like, something being desolate. I'm like, that's Awesome. God, thank you. Right. So I said the next day, maybe I can get a better picture. The second day. So I come in second day, I have a picture. And like I see like dead coral. That's awesome. Thanks, Jesus. Using the word dead to describe my spiritual life with you. That's awesome. Appreciate that. Right. And so we're kind of see this like this trend here. So we get to the third day and the third day I, I have this literally I'm in prayer like, God, you give me these two pictures, desolation and death. This is awesome. What's the third picture? It's got to be great, too. And so I literally, I see this. I'm standing in a forest, and I look down, and I see, like, I see dead leaves laying on the ground, right? And I look up, and I see trees with no leaves on them, completely bare, right? And I look up, and, like, the sky is, like, dark and gray. I'm like, oh, this is awesome, <laughs> right? But the point of the moment for me was, like, God, as I continue to pray, this is like, God, I, 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 I have, I'm one of these guys that, I have this story of great spiritual fervor, right? I have stories in my life of God's movement. I have stories of God doing amazing things and a great passion and a love for Jesus. But I think what God's saying, he's just saying, see, I'm going to be honest with you. In the season of life that you're in, these three pictures describe your spiritual life. 
And I'm just being honest with you. And I begin to think about, like, again, one of my kind of my life checkpoints for me is the story of the, the church at Ephesus. Like, if you ever read the book of Acts, like, the, like he, he goes to all these towns, right? And Ephesus is one of these towns that Paul goes to right after he went to Corinth. And so right after, so Corinth and some cool things. But he comes into Ephesus. In Scripture, I've told you this before, so if you're if you're if you have been at Vintage, you've heard this. Let me say this a hundred times. But like when Paul comes into into Ephesus, like literal like movement of God happens, right? It is a it is what you would proverbially call in the church a revival. It says the entire province of Asia, right? This whole area of Asia. Heard the name Jesus, right? Incredible things happened. The church moved in power, like legs grew, eyes were open, right? Those who were lame, they walked. They saw like thousands of people coming to Christ. It so changed the culture and the moment that people were literally bringing their idols from their home to melt them and all of their books of witchcraft and burning them in, in like a massive, huge bonfire, right? Like, I don't know about you, but that's, um, that's kind of a greater extent of God's movement than I've ever experienced. Like, they had a great story to tell, like the things you, you want from God, Right. The, the movements you pray for, the things you've interceded for for like 20 years of God's movement, like God did those things in Ephesus. And you go all the way to the book of Revelation and God says to the church at Ephesus, and I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, hey, you've seen great things. In fact, you're still doing great things. You're renouncing these things of the enemy. You're helping out these people over here. But one thing I hold against you, you have lost your first love. Stop and do what you did before. And so when I took that and I applied it to my three pictures, like in the three pictures, God began to speak while I was away and just said, Steve, the great thing about a room is that you can clean it up and you can get it pretty and nice. Coral, over time, it comes back to life. And spring always breaks into winter. This is this work that God is doing in my own spiritual life. of reckon it's like, Steve, you're doing lots of good things. You have lots of urgency, lots of energy that you're putting forth. But one thing, you've lost the spiritual fervency. You've lost your passion. You've lost your love. You've lost this depth of reality that you know is capable of being had. And I cannot wait for you to return to that place. And I can't wait to go there with you. So this is the journey that we're on. So we talk about the we talk about the race. We talk about the, the the secret place. We talk about the journey to abundance this morning. What I want you to hear me say is this. Everything in the world is pressing against you living a living, active spiritual life in the secret place with Jesus. Because the reality is that our journey into the secret place is what God's been speaking, saying, Scott, Steve, you're, you're living in this place of scarcity. But I want you to know all, I, all, the only thing I have for you is abundance. The only thing that I have for you is abundance. And so this morning we want to dive into 
this picture of abundance here from John chapter 10. And to do that, you know from Scripture that the only, like, it's not ever healthy to look at one Scripture, like one verse from Scripture. I mean, it's, like, it's not unhealthy. We don't get like, to, to base everything around one Scripture. You have to kind of put a context around it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. Number one, I'm going to look at three or four verses this morning from, from chapter 10 of John. I'm, this is what I'm asking. Listen, pay attention. I'm asking that each of you would go and spend some time in John, in John chapter 10 this week. Okay, it's a real easy chapter to read because Jesus is coming saying, hey, I'm the good shepherd and you can hear my voice and it's going to be awesome together. That's all it's saying, right? I'm the good shepherd, my sheep know my voice and it's going to be great together. It's him fighting for us, him moving on our behalf. And so if you've not read your Bible this week or the past past couple of weeks, would you just start again? Literally, I'll even give you the rest of the day. Start tomorrow. Go read John chapter 10. It's going to take you a total of 10 minutes. Like, I don't care if you read it in the bathroom. I'm just saying, guys, right? Take your Bible and read John chapter 10. Take some time and let God speak this week. And I'm going to give you some nuggets this morning to to launch from into John chapter 10. So let's all read together, starting in verse 7. You can follow along on the screen. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's already kind of stated this in the first six verses, right? So if Jesus says something more than once in several verses, it's a really big deal, right? So Jesus said, truly, truly, got to say it again. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, all who came before me, excuse me, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. He said it again, right? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may, we may have life and have it abundantly. So let's dive in this morning, starting in verse 7. Jesus said again, very, very truly, I tell you, I am the door. Truly, truly, I tell you, I am the door for the sheep. Your Bible state might say gate. They're the same thing, right? They're both doors. In this analogy, Jesus is making it clear that he, in the context of of abundance, in the context of your life, right? Uh, having abundance, seeking abundance, receiving abundance, that Jesus, that God, listen, that Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to abundance. Nothing and no one else leads to the life that God has for his people. Hear that again. Nothing. And no one else in life can lead you to the abundance that God has for you. So simply, start, simple point. The starting point of this journey into abundance is this. Abundance is found in Jesus. Now here's the deal. If you've grown up around church, I just said that. You're like, got that. Keep on going. What's the next thing, Steve? Right? Because you look at that and go, I already know that. That's not, that's not, that's not rocket science, Steve. Like, church tells me always, Jesus is the most important. I know that. But my question for you is, when you heard that, what welled up inside of you? Was it a pride, like I already know that? Or was it a humility of saying yes, because that is true every day, because there are so many things trying to be Jesus other than Jesus in my life. Anything. Aspiring for number one in your life is trying to be Jesus. Anything that's aspiring for your primary thought life is trying to be Jesus and take the place of Jesus. And so I would say to you, you 
and myself, we need to do a level of honest work and say, all right, Jesus, the starting point is that my abundance and life is found in you. I need to be honest about where I'm looking. I need to, I need to wonder if I just know that or I believe it from the very core of my being. Knowledge and belief are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Knowledge and belief. Knowledge is something that I know, and when the going gets tough, I run. Belief is, no, I believe it so much, I will die for it and give everything I have. And so my question to you is, do you have a belief that your abundance is found in Jesus? This truth must be the starting point and our primary conviction. You understand conviction. Conviction is not condemnation of guilt. Conviction is that is the truth. Nothing can shake me from it, and I will live for it for the rest of my life. Conviction is the confident knowledge of something being true to the point that I would die for it. Do we live with the conviction that abundance is found in Jesus? That's the starting point, right? It's a very truly, I tell you, truly, truly, I'm the door for the sheep. Jesus is the source of abundance, right? The idea of sheep, let's just kind of make this, make this clear. In Palestine, sheep were not used for meat, as in you were killing them to eat, right? Sheep were primarily used for wool. So a shepherd would have sheep for, for a good chunk of their and his or her life. Shepherds primarily being men, right? For his life. And so sheep were, were following for a long period of time someone who was their shepherd. In turn, they would distinctly know the voice of their master. They had literally been trained over time to tune every other voice out and respond only to their master. Sheep were conditioned. They were conditioned in their lives to listen to and respond only to the voice of their master. For us, we must be diligent about the voices. We must be diligent about the voices in our lives and learn to tune into and listen to Jesus alone. There will always be multiple voices. But sheep learn to hone in, to tune into, and primarily hear the voice of their shepherd. One story I read in preparation for this message Tell the story of two shepherds. I thought it was really cool. Of two shepherds, and they were out in the field doing their thing, right? This is somewhere over uh, in Israel. And the writer said, I was watching as these shepherds, they went into like a cave when the storm came. It was one of those big storms. And so they all, they go into, obviously it's a big cave. They go into their cave, and all of a sudden, all of their sheep, which had been separated, are now intermingling together, right? And doing their thing. And the writer was like, oh my gosh, it's like, this is a little scary because, like, whose sheep is whose? They look pretty much the same, right? What do you do, right? And so one shepherd, he kind of walked off to the side, and he started doing a sheep call. I have no I have no idea what it was, right? Something, right, in the moment, right? And all of a sudden, half of the sheep went, and just, like, magnetized to him, right? And all of a sudden, they're just all around him. There are now two groups. Why? Because the sheep had so tuned their ear to the shepherd that in the middle of all the chaos of these sheep who were not their family, all of a sudden, and they automatically go over and they're with the shepherd. There's something powerful about being sheep who tune into the voice of the master, who tune into the voice of the shepherd. 
Sheep know their shepherd's voice. And so our journey, right, our journey to the secret place, our journey to abundance, hear this. It is always and first and primarily a a journey of learning to hear God's voice and making time and space to make that happen. Jesus, Jesus, he is the starting point, right? Our abundance is found in him. And then the context of this message, of this journey over to abundance begins with being a people who've cultivated, hearing the voice of the Lord and all the other distractions have gone away. Which leads to verse 8, says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Again, we're talking about the nature of the sheep. According to the great historian Josephus, the great Jewish historian Josephus, there were, as he called it, 10,000 disorders in Judea. 10,000 disorders in Judea. And what he meant is that there were people who were trying to be Messiah-esque. 10,000 people who came and says, no, no, follow me. I will lead you. I will be the one who will conquer Rome. Like, I am the Messiah. I am the Jesus figure. 10,000 disorders. And so what Jesus is coming and saying in the moment, listen, he's saying, listen, each of these men had followers who ultimately believed that freedom and breakthrough is found in people following them. But Jesus says, here, his sheep did not listen. His sheep did not listen. The question we have to continually be asking ourselves is this. Who do we listen to? Like, who do you listen to? What voice is the primary voice that you're listening to every single day? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Are you aware of the shepherd calling you? Because his voice always leads to abundance. But the other voice over here, right, these 10,000 disorders, doesn't it speak to the disorder we feel in our life that leads us to places of scarcity, that leads us to places of thinking we don't have, we're lacking, we need more, something's missing? What's the language that we use? And Jesus is coming in the moment saying, man, all who came before me, man, they're all thieves. All of these voices, they come to steal, they come to kill, they come to destroy, right? But my sheep, they, they have tuned their voice, they've turned their ears to hear me. Listen, we may not be giving ourselves to a specific madman claiming to be the savior of the world. I hope that you are not doing that, right? But however, we are confronted with hundreds, if not thousands of voices every day that are attempting to distract us from seeing and hearing Jesus. Voices, listen, voices that may be so subtle, right? But over time, they wreak havoc on our ability to see, hear, and experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives. We, we, listen, we have all of these personal temptations, like, that's the story of my, of this here in this season, right? The story of like me being so busy getting caught up in life that I've literally gotten to a place that God's showing me a picture of three pictures of desolation, of distraction, right? All of these things and saying, Steve, like, you gotta, you gotta turn. It is, whatever's a temptation in the context of our life, things we wrestle with that claim to bring us satisfaction if we just give ourselves to it, right? What, listen, what did you give yourself to this week to escape from your reality because it was just too much. What was your escape? And if it was other than Jesus, it's dangerously close to being an idol if it's not already. 
Whatever we give ourselves to as an escape, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether it's something that's sinful, whatever it may be, whatever we give ourselves to that takes the place of God for our escape, that's dangerous. It leads us to places of scarcity in the context of our lives. We have the voice of the American dream saying, if you just get this, then you will be happy. If you just get this, if you just get to retirement, then you can rest. Retirement is not a biblical reality. It's an important of the American dream. I need to climb the ladder of success. That's not biblical. That's American dream cultural. What is it in the context of our lives of more stuff? If I could just, I look at somebody, and if I could just have that, then I would be happy. Let me tell you a story from this weekend. So Anna Catherine's on a fishing team, right? And so we had a fishing tournament yesterday on Lake Seminole, Bainbridge, Georgia, kind of Alabama, Georgia, uh, Florida border, long way away, right? And so let me just be honest with you. The last two tournaments, man, they have like killed me because our kids have caught zero fish. It's Anna Catherine and her partner. And it's not their fault. It's my fault because I haven't put them places where fish are because they're completely capable. And so this just sounds silly, but literally I had to have a conversation with Jesus about it. I lose that then on Monday. I went fishing with my dad on, I sat down a little on Tuesday. I went fishing on Monday on my day off. My dad and I left here Sunday after youth, drove all the way down, fished all day Monday. We caught like barely anything. And I'm like, and I'm, and I'm driving home and I'm like wrestling. And I'm like, God, we can't do this again. And I'm literally, my dad's going to have like a good father son conversation. And all I can think about is we've got to catch fish. We have to catch fish. I'm like replaying every move that I made in the day and how I could do things differently so that Anna Catherine and her partner, poor partner, Landon, could catch some fish. And so Tuesday, I literally go to bed thinking about it. I wake up on Tuesday morning to come to a prayer meeting at 6.30 a.m. and all I can think about is fishing. God, I literally, like, I literally, I'm sitting, I'm driving out of my neighborhood. I get to the light and I said, I just want to pray God. We've got to talk about fishing, and I'm a little embarrassed to talk about it. <laughs> right? That's what I'm afraid. And so I'm like having this conversation with the Lord. I'm like, God, this needs to be a short conversation because I feel silly. I'm about to go pray for those who are dying in the world, and I'm talking about fishing, right? It's like, God help us, right? But I'm like, this is where I am. And so I had to like do this conversation with the Lord. I had to come back to center point and say, God, what's going on? I have no abundance in this area of my life, God. There's definitely scarcity. I haven't caught anything in two, like three trips. This is terrible, God. And so I began to pray. And I said, all right, God. Just, and so I said, God, check my heart. Check my heart. Like, what's going on? I said, God. This is what I pray. I said, God, is my tension is my tension because we're not winning. And so I'm like, I checked my heart with the Lord, and it wasn't. I didn't care if we won or not, right? Like, I would, don't get me wrong, I'd like to win, okay? But I mean, like, we didn't have to win. And so I prayed. I'm going I'm to get, get back to the main point here. I'm just telling you, right, to get you there, because this is the work of the Lord in my heart. So, so literally, I prayed. So God, so I said, God, what are the things that ultimately you're looking for, we're looking for in the context of our time? And I felt like God said, it's not about, it's not about winning, but it's about relaxation, relaxing. It's about joy and it's about having fun. And I qualified, said, Lord, I just want you to know it's more fun when we're catching fish. I'm just saying, right? Right, AK? Absolutely. And so we go yesterday. 
Now, mind you, when I, when I had gone and practiced, we had caught two fish that we could keep for our tournament. You can only have, you can have five fish. You know how many fish we caught yesterday? We caught five. Right? Like, I'm literally, like, Anakin doesn't even know, but the whole time, like, Anakin caught four, I'm just saying, right, out of the five. Mm, right? And so it's like this thing, right? So he catches four out of the five. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there, God, man, this is so good. Like, we're having fun. It is relaxing. AK can tell you I'm not relaxed sometimes when we're on the boat, or a lot of the time, I'm stressed. She's like, just chill out, Dad, right? Like, we're having fun, and, and it, there's this level of joy. We're enjoying one another, and it's a lot of fun, right? We get back to the weigh-in. We weigh our five fish, and they weigh over eight pounds. And I'm like, yay, right? Well, our buddy comes up. He weighs in 18 pounds. What did my heart do? That wasn't enough, God. My heart says, I want more. Rather than thanking God that he had produced joy, right, and, and, and fun in the moment, and we were okay not winning, I came back and I had to say, God, my heart is not satisfied. It's a place of scarcity because I am not celebrating that you actually moved. I'm looking for more. That's the danger of us in the context of our culture, right? The American dream's idea of our life. We're always looking for more. And it steals from us. God's coming in the moment, right? Saying all of these things, they're thieves and robbers. You just need to listen to me, right? It's this beautiful reality, this work that God can do in us. We have voices in the news, the media. What do they tell us? Everything's wrong. Everyone else is wrong. And we live in this place of utmost division where we feel like people with different political views than ours are our enemy, forgetting Jesus says, love your enemies. Walk the extra mile. Show compassion. There is no Jesus in the context of our politics because we are more cultural than we are Christian. And that should convict us dramatically. If you watch media and all you do is get frustrated, you get angry, you have a lack of peace, and you live in this place, and you find yourself being argumentative and wanting to make your point and wanting to be heard, there's a level of health in that of making ourselves known, but there's a high level of unhealth. What are we going to do? Is it stealing us and bringing us to a place of scarcity? Or do you live in abundance in those things? What voice is stealing and robbing God's abundance in your life? Of all these voices, what voice is leading you to scarcity? Who or what are you listening to? What is the primary voice in your head? Listen, if you want to have success in getting to the place of abundance in your journey to abundance, you better sit down long enough to be honest with yourself and with God about the voices that you're listening to, just like I did about fishing. That was a stupid, silly story, wasn't it? Like, can you believe I spent time before a prayer meeting praying about bass fishing? That's crazy. But it showed my heart. There was something not right. There was a place of scarcity, a lack of abundance, a lack of joy, a lack of the fruit of God. Huh. I had to name it before I could move forward from it. So in this, right, 
We have to name it. What is it? Fear? Is it pleasure? Is it rejection? Is it busyness? What is it? We have to name it, right? That's what Jesus is making his point here. All who came before me, they were trying to thieve and rob you, but sheep do not listen to them. And then Jesus says, because I am the door. If anyone, if anyone enters by me, he or she will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus again, right, restates the phrase, I am the door, I am the gate. He, listen, do you know why he says it? Because we're so stubborn that we don't do a good job of listening. He says things over and over and over again because we are not good at getting them. So here's the point. You're like, I have a hard time really grabbing hold of this reality of Jesus being the door and really going through him. That's great because everybody else does too. That's why I said it more than once. We're all in the same boat. We're all really bad at this, right? So I am the door from verse 7. This actual phrase, I am the door and he will go in and out and find pasture, is actually a well-known Jewish phrase which spoke of entering and exiting a country during times of peace when the borders were secure and safe. Back in the day, you didn't have these marauders and like pirates, whatever it is, coming in. Like not pirates, that's why I know that's on the ocean. But you know what I'm getting at. These people who are like villains, I don't know, whatever you call them, right? There's other words there. But you had these like people coming in. They would, they would come and someone would try to cross the border and they would steal from them. They would beat them, whatever it may be. And so what he's saying is, no, 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 no. Because of the work that Jesus has done with the door, it is actually safe passage. You can go, exhale, and you can go in and out of the country, right? You can go into and out of, feel secure, feel safe, and to be at peace. And so what Jesus is saying is like, listen, because I am the door, as you go into the secret place and come out of the secret place, it's always going to be safe and secure because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to be with you and protect you. It's going to be okay because I am the shepherd. It's important language saying to those who understood it, like, oh my gosh, he's saying in the context of the border of my life, Jesus is safe. Jesus is secure. And in the context of my life, right, I will be saved. The beautiful, interesting thing about our salvation is salvation has a starting point. It's the moment that you give your life to Jesus, right? But then your salvation continues to occur every day. And the reason is really simple. So I am a sheep. I all of a sudden now entered into the gate and now have a good shepherd, right? Sheep are dumb. They really are. That's the history of them, right? They're not smart. They're still not smart. Okay? And so smart, so to sheep who are not smart, I think it's really interesting because he's talking to the Pharisees, basically calling them sheep and calling them not smart, and they thought they were really smart. It's really great, right? But the idea of this, right, he's saying, no, sheep, and you know how they work? If they, if they see a ledge and sheep wants this, let's go run up the edge. Like, that's a great idea. Boom. And they'll run off, right? And the sheep goes, stop them. Hey, whoa, 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 right? So Jesus did that, the initial point of salvation. But do you know that sheep every day will find another ledge to run off of? Do you know anybody like that? They live looking for ledges to run off of. And you're like, oh my gosh, stop. You're praying for them right now because they're ledge runner tours, right? So you get this nice reality going on, and Jesus is saving us every day. He's saving you from yourself every day. He's saving you from the voices every day. If we will listen, the idea we have to come into, right, 
This is the idea. They needed a shepherd. We need a shepherd. And so verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I can't. They may have life and have it abundantly. In our day, listen, in our day, unfortunately, we've reduced the idea of the thief to mean the devil, right? And, and it is true. He is our enemy and he has come to steal and to kill and destroy. However, the language of this verse would argue that anything, listen, anything in our life that leads us away from God's best in our life is a thief. Maybe have a maybe it's source than actually the enemy, right? But anything in our life that leads us away from God's best in our life is a thief, whether it's people, ideologies, temptations, fears, etc. The voices they lead us to a place of scarcity. This is the place that we think we don't have enough. We will never have enough. That breakthrough and salvation and healing and peace that they belong to someone else but not to us. Is that how you feel? Is it easy for you to believe for all of those things for somebody else, but you can't believe them for yourself? Because we've embraced over years this idea of scarcity. It's like, that's great for you, but for me, I'm just going to live in this place of a desolate room, of a dead coral reef, and a winter leafless tree area. Do we live there? The thief came to steal and to kill and destroy But therefore, in this place, right, of we have to stop. We have to be honest with ourselves. But that's the place to begin. We have to be honest about where I am with Jesus. We have to be honest about the scarcity. Am I living in scarcity or with abundance? Am I living in scarcity? Do I believe in something less than the fullness? Am I believing that these things aren't going to happen? Did something happen in my life? God didn't answer a prayer. God didn't move the way I thought he would move. This atrocity happened in my life. And in that moment, we believed scarcity was, was ours forever. And not believing in abundance, the place we have to begin, again, is just stopping and being honest with ourselves and with God. Am I living in scarcity or with the abundance that Jesus is naming in second half of verse 10? Abundance is not, listen, abundance is not speaking about more, the things that we need more of in the physical realm. Right? We're not talking about cars and homes and money and power and success. I'm not talking about any of those things. Right? Jesus instead is speaking about the eternal traits that bring ultimate freedom in our lives. He's talking about abundance specifically of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but if my life I'm experiencing I want you to think about these words. I want you to feel these words. Thinkers work really hard to feel these words, okay? When I, when I think about and I feel the word fullness of love, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Love. The fruit of God's Spirit in me as I go into the secret place. The fruit I will experience is love. That's powerful. I think about, I'm living in joy. Peace overwhelms every single moment of my life and patience and kindness flowing from me and goodness and gentleness in my marriage and parenting, faithfulness and self-control in life, right? What happens when these things define our lives? What does it feel like? Abundance. It feels like we're actually truly living. 
Because no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances, if I tell you in the midst of all the difficulties, you will experience an abundance of love and of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness on down the line. What will you say? You say, that fat sounds like abundance. That sounds like fullness. And so Jesus is coming, right? These And speaking like this is the promise for all of my sheep. He's speaking about a deep confidence that defines our spiritual life. A confidence that God is truly our good shepherd. He's a good and loving father who guards and protects us as we go in and out of pasture, in and out of every day of our lives. So the journey is a race. We're racing to the secret place. In the secret place, he has abundance. Our takeaways this morning, they're on the screen. Takeaway number one is we have to be honest, like I was, like I was, about your sense of scarcity or abundance. It begins by being honest. Right? Where are you with this promise today? And here's the thing, like, you just need to be honest, saying, God, I'm actually really frustrated. Like, I thought this, and this happened. Right? I'm in this place, and I got myself there. You've got to help me get out. Whatever it is, you have to be honest about where you are in the sense of scarcity or abundance. Number two, abundance you have to be convicted by begins and ends with Jesus. He is the only source of eternal abundance. If we aren't serious about running after Jesus as our greatest prize, our true home then our journey will not lead us to abundance. Because I don't know about you, but it's very easy to get distracted. A runner has to stay focused. An athlete has to stay focused to run. It's never easy. It's never easy. Right? He's our destination. Number three, many voices have come to steal us away. Be diligent about the voices in your head and tune into Jesus. In time, his voice will become most clear. I want you to hear this. In the context of our life about being honest with scarcity and abundance, and I want you all to hear this, many times you will come face to face with things that are just too much for you to handle alone. Like you and Jesus, to be honest with you, will not be enough. Because the greater your scarcity usually, the greater the tension, the greater the turmoil, the greater the hurt. And the thing is, be me and Jesus, that's why, I mean, all the time I'm sending people, right, say, listen, I love you, I'm praying for you, but you've got to sit down with a counselor. Because their job literally has been trained to lead people to understand how they got to a place, how to handle these things so they can move forward. Some of you need to go get inner, come to the night of healing prayer for inner healing. Just pray that God begin to work on your emotions. And the idea about a journey is this. You, you hear this. You use the word journey because sometimes, in fact, most of the time I've experienced that journey is not a miracle of going from like scarcity to abundance. It's usually healing, which happens over the process of time. Why do you think that your wounds that you have on your body 
the scar up and they take time to heal. Why? Because God is making a point that things that even scar you in your spirit and scar your soul, just like in the physical, take time to journey through to get to the point of healing so that you can move forward in it. So we begin with being honest. We begin by saying it's too much. We begin by getting people around us who can help us, who can pray with us, who can process with us, right? And then number four, we have to clearly define abundance in your life. Know what it is and know what it isn't. Know what it is and know what it isn't. Listen, this is what I should have put on the screen. I apologize, but listen, I'm going to say it more than once. If you give yourself an expectation of Jesus doing something never promised, then you will always live in a place of scarcity. Say that again. If you give yourself an expectation of Jesus, something Jesus, listen, say it again. If you give yourself an expectation of something Jesus never promised, then you will always live in a place of scarcity. If you live believing, oh, God promised this, but he didn't actually, then you're living in a place of scarcity. Some people get so frustrated with God. I prayed this and whatever, and this never happened. They live, ah. And so often at times we have to get to the place of saying, God, what is your actual promise? What is actual abundance? What does that mean? And getting to a healthy place of God saying, I'm promising you these things in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad. So that in all situations, it will be safe for you to come in and to come out of my secret place with you. And number five, in prayer, look for and anticipate the promise of God's abundance as you cut out distractions from your life. Always in prayer, look for and anticipate the promise of God's abundance. One of the things I've done in my own personal prayer time is I've, I've come in and, and I've, I said, God, all right. I believe when I come into your secret place, I'm immediately into your presence. And so, God, I've come in, and by faith, I believe I'm here, even though I can't feel it. I'm in a season like, man, I don't feel it. It's not like, you know, it's not like warm fuzzies, right? It's like it's difficult when I'm coming in. Like, ah, God, I feel like alone, but I know you're with me. So I come in, like, God, I'm with you. And what I've begun doing by faith is saying, God, you, you don't have scarcity for me. You have abundance. Because what happens so often is I come into God's presence believing scarcity rather than trusting by faith that God has abundance. So I've come and said, God, I've believed for scarcity, but I know that you've promised abundance. And so, God, I'm going to speak abundance. So I literally come in and say, God, I, just, I thank you for your presence. I'm with you. And I'm believing you for abundance. That I just receive your love, even though I can't feel it, receive your joy. And I'm asking God that you would help me, God, to begin to flesh this out so it becomes my greatest conviction. All I'm getting at is that I come into the presence of the Lord and say, God, you've promised this, and I desire to receive that. Help me. And I've taken time to process through these realities of scarcity, saying, God, these are broken areas, and I'm asking for your grace to help, to work on, and to move from it to this place of abundance. So that this morning, we're going to come into a time of prayer. Let's invite Aaron to come up and lead us. And, and the idea this morning is I, I just want you to, again, these things we've named, I just want you to begin just to be honest about your scarcity and abundance and be honest about your conviction, right, of, of God as Jesus is the source that leads us to the abundance that God has for us. Is that the conviction you live by? I want you to begin to name the voices that you're hearing, that you're listening to. I want you to begin to be honest about the journey that you're on. 
So, Father, we just ask this morning as we come into this time of ministry, I pray, Jesus, for I pray for salvation again today, Lord, that you would, as a good shepherd, you would save us again. That you would save us from scarcity. You would save us from these broken places. You would save us from the lies we've bought into. You would save us from these voices that we've listened to and grabbed hold of. Today, Jesus, that we would listen to you and that, God, we would hear your voice. And I pray, Father, just really simply, you'd make us great at turning from the other voices and turning directly to you. And I pray, Father, you would help us to see today, God, the things that we're believing that are scarcity. And I pray, God, that you would help us to talk to other people, to connect with, and to get help as we continue this journey to abundance that you have for us. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, as we come into our ministry time, as we always do, offering baskets available here just for you. Just to worship through any tithes or offerings that you're bringing. We have communion available every week. And the reason we have that here is because we believe that God saved us once and we believe that he's saving us again. It's a reality check for us that God is still moving in power today to bring us into the secret place and to bring breakthrough and salvation. We have ministry teams on both sides. And our ministry teams are present very simply just to pray for you for any kind of breakthrough in your life. Whatever you're asking God to do, whatever you need him to do in an area of scarcity, to move towards abundance, they would just love to pray for you, to seek God on your behalf. Basically, it's like a family member coming alongside and saying, I'm going to walk with you into God's presence. So you respond as the Lord leads, take some time and process these. These things will come back up in about five minutes and close us out. But you respond as the Lord leads.